0: for the reading of Scripture this morning as we come to the Gospel of Mark chapter 13. And again, as we've been giving summary uh, reviews of the chapters, we've just uh, chosen several passages to try to um, point out uh, the development of the the chapter, can't read the whole thing. But we'll start this morning in the Gospel of Mark chapter 13, uh, beginning in verses 1 and 2, and then read several other Scripture passages. Let us hear and attend to God's Word, Mark 13, verses 1 and 2. Then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, "Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be torn down. And then down to verse 10. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. Then over to verses 30 and 31. Assuredly, amen, I say to you, This generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not, my words will by no means pass away. And then verse 37 And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. We'll end our reading of the Holy Scriptures there this morning. Please be seated. Mark 13 records. Jesus Olivet Discourse. It's also recorded in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke. Uh, You may well be familiar with it. It's a pretty famous uh, passage of scripture. Now, while each of the accounts in the synoptics, Mark, uh, Matthew, and Luke, uh, have some different wording and some different content, there are no contradictions. However, comparative studies show the contents as we compare uh, passage to passage, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. when we compare these passages in the contents there, we find that it supports that Jesus repeated these things. Jesus taught these lessons more than once. And that's important for us uh, as we look at this scripture this morning. This is important scripture. I think it's been hijacked and awfully uh, misrepresented, but I do think it's important for us. Uh, What if I told you the Olivet Discourse has nothing to say specifically about the cosmological end of the world. You see, that's the way it's often treated. It's often just fast-forwarded to the indefinite future, and we're told that Jesus is saying here how the world is going to end in terms of the natural ending of the world, uh, the end of time, the end of the material creation, the cosmological end of the world. But I'm saying to you, I want you to consider this morning that in this Olivet Discourse, Jesus has nothing specifically to say about the cosmological end of the world. And I'm not just arguing a moot point here, which I hope will become obvious as we go along. The Gospel's record of Jesus' Olivet Discourse provides some of the longest transcripts of Jesus' teaching. I say that because it's important that we take note of it. This is some of the longest detailed transcripts that we have of Jesus' teaching. Now often the Olivet Discourse is lifted out of its thematic context and made a springboard for prophetic speculations about the end or the destruction of the natural world or the end of days. And that really gets people jazzed up. I know people like to hear about it. I've been, I think, uh, one of the um, uh, voices in the wilderness saying that's not what this is about. You know, getting all jazzed up about the end of the world, that's not what Jesus is teaching here. And yet there are... Seemingly, an endless supply of prophecy books being written and rewritten of date setting being de- uh, set and reset. There are seminars about prophecy that fill uh, places that people come together and want to have itching ears to hear about these things. I even heard, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about telling you this because some of you might want to go, I've even heard of a prophecy cruise. So, you may want to go on a prophecy cruise so this is this is big business and it gets people's attention and they're all jazzed up about it but i'm telling you that we need to reconsider what jesus is saying here because ironically this sensationalizing of scripture violates the express warning of jesus himself about the purpose of his teaching here's what jesus says take heed that no one deceives you For such things must happen, but the end is not yet. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. He says, the things I'm telling you will happen to this generation. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. What does that mean? We need to look closely at that. And then at the conclusion, Jesus says, what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Now, Just take a moment and ask yourself, after everything Jesus has said, is Jesus contradicting himself and saying, now I want you to watch for the signs of my coming? I told you not to do that, but now I'm saying I want you to. No, what does Jesus mean by watch? What I say to you, I say to all, watch. How does Jesus want us to watch? Well, actually, chapters 14 and following, he shows us how he wants us to watch. So I hope that you'll be interested in that as we come into those chapters next week and following. But considering that Mark's arrangement of his gospel and the record that he gives us is intentionally organized rather than a loose scrapbook of anecdotes. And there again, as we come to this gospel of Mark, what I've been trying to show to you, even though the um, chapter divisions were not part of the original text, they're not arbitrary, And what we find is that there is a development of the gospel theme. It intensifies going through the gospel of Mark. And as we pointed out, it becomes very intense in chapters 10 to the end, chapters 10 through 16, as Mark narrows the scope. So almost half of the book now narrows the scope to the last days of Jesus on earth and his earthly ministry as he is moving toward the accomplishment of his heavenly ministry. And there again is a theme that's important, earth and heaven. If you'll remember in chapter 10... We saw that the New Covenant Christian Gospel supersedes the Old Covenant limitations of the law by perfecting the theological necessity for covenant mediation. What Moses could not do, Jesus can do. And then on into chapter 11, the New Covenant Christian Gospel prepares for the new temple worship of God through the covenantal mediation of Jesus Christ. This is huge as it comes to uh, chapter 13 when Jesus says, this earthly temple is done with. Why? Because there is a new temple for a new way of worshiping God through the mediation of the new covenant. And who is that mediator? The Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 12, the new covenant Christian gospel provides the interpretive key that we can understand and know these things to all of the holy scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. It all comes together. The key that unlocks it all is the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ in fulfillment of the Old Covenant promises and the New Covenant. And then, as we come this morning to chapter 13, the New Covenant Christian Gospel promises the progress of God saving the world. See, it's not the end of the world, the end of days, everything's lost, it's all going to implode. No. The New Covenant Christian Gospel promises the progress of God saving the world by predictions and pledges of the New Covenant birthed out of the labor pains of the Old Covenant. That's something that we miss. In verse 8, this is what Jesus says when he says it's the beginning of sorrows. I don't know which translation you have, but actually, more literally, it's rendered the beginning of birth pains, the beginning of labor. The Old Covenant gives birth to the New Covenant but it's a painful, traumatic experience likened unto birth. And that's an established motif in Scripture, and it finds one of its most beautiful expressions in Revelation chapter 12. Now, Jesus repeatedly limits the main focus of his teaching in the Olivet Discourse to the predicted coming destruction of the earthly temple and earthly Jerusalem as a covenantal pledge promising the progress of the new covenant Christian gospel not to be interpreted or assessed by natural or human activities. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, I wish that you could pack this in and, and hold on to it. Here in this Olivet Discourse, Jesus repeatedly limits the main focus of his teaching to the predicted coming destruction of the earthly temple in earthly Jerusalem. How do we miss that? Over and over it's said. It's enforced. It is built upon. Even as we uh, confess this morning out of Ephesians concerning a greater temple, a living temple, not not the old earthbound temple. And, And what the Apostle Paul elaborates about that in terms of the gospel and the progress of the gospel and I think that's something that we really, really miss in terms of the covenantal pledge that Jesus is saying with the end of the Old Covenant. It's not the end of the world. The end of the Old Covenant is like birth pangs that come upon a woman who gives birth and through this traumatic birth we have the promise of the New Covenant being born and the promise of the New Covenant and of God's involvement Jesus explicitly says is not to be interpreted or assessed out by natural disasters or natural occurrences or human activities you do not judge the progress of the gospel and the accomplishment of the new covenant based on what you see in the world in terms of wars and rumors of wars of natural disasters of earthquakes of human opposition and persecution if you look with the eyes of flesh at what happens you'll say it's loss we have no hope Everything is failing. And those who look out into the world without faith and without faith in the new covenant gospel are in despair. The only thing they can hope for is that God will get us out of here before it burns down. That is not the hope of the gospel, that God gets us out of here before it burns down. The hope of the gospel cannot be assessed and interpreted by natural and human activities. I was joking just yesterday about how I've, I've heard some reports lately that this is a bad uh, season for snakes. Uh, my son-in-law sent me a, a picture of a snake. Is What kind of snake is this? We found it in the cellar. And I was relieved when he told me now it's a dead snake. But I think it was just a corn snake or a rat snake. But, you know, when in doubt. And so anyway, we heard these reports. Maybe you've seen them as well. That they're just more snake activity than there's been Uh uh, there's been reports of more animals being bitten by snakes, and in different places, some have uh, speculated that because of the floods, snakes are being run out and coming up. Uh, there's more populated areas. And I, no doubt, no doubt, someone has <laughs> tapped into this. See, it's the end of the world. The snakes are crawling. Jesus said, You don't assess the success of the gospel and the promise of God's new covenant based on natural or human activities. He says it right here, but we don't listen. So I want to give you an overview of uh, chapter 13, the Olivet Discourse this morning. Again, I regret we don't have time to go into full exposition because it's so rich and really valuable things that Jesus has to say. But just, if you will, follow along as we do the overview. We start out in verses 1 through 8, where Jesus predicted the final destruction of the earthly temple in Jerusalem as a sign by covenantal pledge of God's theological judgment and not the cosmological end of the world. That's really important. In verses 9 through 13, Jesus prepared the apostles... For persecution from preaching the new covenant Christian gospel. In reference to the end of old covenant Judaism, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, and moving to that time, Jesus says, as you're preaching the new covenant Christian gospel, as this judgment is looming and coming upon the temple in Jerusalem, while you're preaching the new covenant Christian gospel, you're going to be persecuted. Christians are going to be persecuted. There will be betrayals even at the most intimate level of family. This will go on. And what is identified by Jesus as the end is not the end of the world. It's the persevering and saving faith to the end. He says, look, you're going to be delivered up to be martyred, to be killed. But if you persevere to the end, you will be saved. Not to the end of the world, but to the end of your testimony bearing witness to Jesus during the time of persecution. A persecution, as a matter of fact, which he goes on to say, will be the worst from the time of creation and never again to be experienced in that way. Not in the future. But what happened with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and God saving the elect Christians who had been converted out of Judaism? So verses 14 through 23, three, Jesus pointed out that Daniel's prophecy of the abomination of desolation, this ought to be a, a, a indisputable, <laughs> that Jesus pointed out that the prophecy of Daniel's abomination of desolation would be fulfilled in the events connected with his prediction about the destruction of the earthly temple in Jerusalem being located and limited to Judea by God's preserving the elect Christians who were converted out of Judaism. So I challenge you to go read verses 14 through 23. I want you to read the whole chapter, but I want you to read them in light of what Jesus is actually saying. And so he's saying that this trouble that's coming hasn't been anything like it previously from the time of creation. doesn't mean there have not been more people killed or more people killed in different ways. But the point that Jesus is focusing in on and the transition from Old Covenant to New Covenant, the destruction of the temple, and with it, all of Old Covenant Judaism, Jesus says that intense persecution that came spilled over into even those believing Christians who came out of Judaism and embraced Jesus as the Messiah. And Jesus says the Father will shorten that time of persecution to preserve the elect Christian's who have believed and come out of Judaism. And he says, such a time will not happen again. Okay, don't believe me. Read it for yourself. Verses 24 through 29, Jesus predicted the progress of the New Covenant Christian Gospel after the destruction of the earthly temple. Did you get that? Jesus predicts the progress of the New Covenant Christian Gospel after the destruction of the earthly temple in Jerusalem on God's covenantal pledge. What is God's covenantal pledge? That he will be involved, that he hasn't abandoned the church or kingdom. It's a new and different one. It's different than the old covenant. His ways and presence are different. And he uses biblical apocalyptic language and a parable that we've heard before of the fruitless fig bush about the theological end of the old covenant and not to be confused with the cosmological end of the world. And so Jesus says, after the destruction of the temple, there's going to be an intense persecution. Christian believers are going to be persecuted. And they're going to be persecuted, but that's not a sign of God's disapproval. The fact that they are preserved in faith, even in attesting, sealing their faith and testimony with their own blood, that God uses this apocalyptic language to say, Far from abandoning you, I am with you in a greater and fuller way. But you can't see it with the eyes of your flesh. You must see it by faith. And by the way, remember what I told you about the fruitless fig bush? He says, when you see that happening, what happened to the fig bush was a symbol of what God is doing in bringing judgment upon and cursing unfaithful apostate Judaism in the days of of that generation, in the days of the apostles, in the days of the first Christians. And then on to the conclusion in verses 30 through 37, Jesus pledged by covenantal oath that the theological heavens and earth of the old covenant. Now, you really need to think about this, and you need to connect the dots. He's not talking about the material heaven and earth. He's talking about the theological heavens and earth. Jesus pledged by covenantal oath that the theological heavens and earth of the Old Covenant would pass away within that generation. But his word of promise by the New Covenant Christian gospel would not fail. But rather, it would be a watchword for the promised day of the Lord. So that if Old Covenant, represented by the earthly temple in Jerusalem, did not escape God's judgment, neither will the whole world. That's the covenantal pledge. And that's what Jesus says about watching. He doesn't tell us to watch for signs. He just told us not to be looking for signs. He says watch for the faithfulness of God. Watch for God's judgment and that His promised judgment will come that the anti-Christian forces will not win. They will not snuff out. They will not eradicate the witness of the gospel and the power of God of the Lord Jesus through His church. It it will not happen, no matter how dark it may look, no matter how bleak, no matter how hopeless it may seem. Don't look with the eyes of flesh. Look with the promises of God and what Jesus says regarding the new heavens and the new earth and of God's involvement by His promises in terms of His covenantal pledge that He is with us. And so we are called to faith. We are called to watch in faith. Not for the end of the world, but watch for the progress of the gospel. Watch for our faithfulness. Watch for looking out to worship God and not be led astray. Don't be deceived, Jesus said. A confusion about the earthly temple and earthly Jerusalem of the Old Covenant continues today. You know that's true. All around us in all manner of social media and and we have these voices of those who claim that they are the prophets to tell us about the end of the world, and they claim that in terms of Christian ideas. So there's confusion about the earthly temple and earthly Jerusalem and the Old Covenant. The same mistaken assumptions of the apostles before Jesus' resurrection are the default view of many professing Christians, especially expecting the reinstitution of Judaism. Do not be fooled by that. Old Covenant Judaism is over and done with. Any attempt to bring it back and to reestablish it and to somehow find common cause with it in terms of Christianity, God says is um, wrong. He says it's an abomination, actually. He says it's trampling underfoot the blood of Christ. If we would go back and try to reinstitute the Old Covenant, the Old Temple, and the Old uh, Order, And so don't be fooled by that. I I, I don't care how many people are clamoring for the rebuilding of the temple. I don't care how many uh, appeals you get to send a few dollars for the rebuilding of the temple. The rebuilding of an earthly temple will never be uh, appointed by God, will never be pleased or approved by God. The old temple is over and done with. An old covenant Judaism is no way to worship God. He rejects it because the new covenant has come and the greater and truer heavenly realities have been made known. That's the mystery the apostle Paul was talking about, the mystery that's been kept secret, but now has been made known through the gospel. So do not be fooled about those who are clamoring for the rebuilding of an earthly temple and the reinstitution of Judaism. It is not pleasing to God. There will not be an earthly kingdom, a a political geographical kingdom located over in Jerusalem. Earthly Jerusalem is over and done with. We may appreciate and we may make common cause with the nation of Israel as a political ally, but that has nothing to do with prophecy and the gospel. If we really care about uh, the nation of Israel, we should care about them in the gospel like we do for other nations. We should want the gospel to go there as elsewhere. And the new covenant to be recognized and acknowledged in the greater promises of God, in the heavenly realities, the new heaven and the new earth of the new covenant. And so as you continue to hear people clamoring under the name of Christ for the natural end of the world, that the end of the world is coming... That it's all going to be burned up and our only hope is to get uh, you know, the elevator out of here before it happens. There's nothing scriptural about that. We're to bear witness of the gospel. Many people's world has come to an end. But the power of the gospel transcends the local and the limited and the uh, earthly in terms of cultural and, uh, and social concerns. Do not be persuaded. Do not be deceived. Do not be moved away from the the gospel of Jesus Christ and the new covenant and the need for salvation through him. So, actually, the Olivet Discourse is about the progress of the gospel that's to be received and acknowledged by faith and not by sight. With the traumatic end of the old covenant, it's like... A woman going into uh, birth labor to pains and anguish and, and struggle and hard, the hard giving of birth. And this is what Jesus said about the beginning of birth pangs as the new covenant is birthed out of the trauma of the old covenant's demise. So how is Jesus' Olivet Discourse a message of gospel salvation to a lost world? That's really what I've wanted to focus in on this morning and try to lead you away from all the sensationalized prophecy mongering and say, no, let's look at what Jesus says here. Let's heed his warnings and let's see what he says about the progress of the gospel through the new covenant. It's not to be uh, interpreted or assessed by human or or uh, natural activities. Don't be fooled by that. But look in faith to what the word of God says and what Jesus says. So Jesus tells us, in correcting mistaken views and ideas that the earthly temple and earthly Jerusalem are going to be dismantled. He details that and says it's going to be completely taken apart. It's going to be removed. The old covenant is over and done with. And in its place is the approval of the new covenant that is God's shaking heaven and earth. The coming of the new covenant and the power of God to... uh, To approve that, the Bible describes that to us as of God shaking heaven and earth. That's why Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. The heaven and earth of the old covenant will pass away. But my word will not pass away. It will not fail. What is his word? His word is the new covenant in the gospel of God's plan of salvation. So God has shaken Heaven and earth, he's shaken the old covenant like taking your uh, tablecloth out and shaking it and getting rid of everything that doesn't belong on it and the things that remain. That's what Jesus said, what remains of the new covenant. That's what's permanent. So Jesus emphasizes the progress of the new covenant Christian gospel as perseverance in saving faith that overcomes anti-Christian persecution he said that it starts with the apostles in the days of the transition from old covenant to new covenant and with the intense persecution he says you'll be hauled into the synagogues and before councils and before kings and leaders it will happen both in terms of religious and political powers the apostles came and bore witness of the new covenant gospel of jesus christ and he says they would be intensely persecuted but they would not be forsaken or abandoned And Jesus tells us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Persevere to the end. He who has begun a good work in you will continue it to the day of Christ. We persevere to the end, not the end of the world, but to the goal of saving faith. We don't know when that will come for any of us, do we? But we're told that we're kept by the power of God into salvation. That Jesus keeps us in the power of the new covenant gospel and we bear witness to Him No matter what our circumstances may be, no matter how difficult or uncertain or what transitions or changes we may be going through, he says, persevere in saving faith to the end, not the end of the world, but to the end goal of your salvation. And that's where the apostle Paul goes and says, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So we're not all wrapped up and and jazzed about, oh, the, the world is ending. The world is coming to an end. Snakes are crawling where they've never crawled before. No. Don't be foolish like that. Persevere to the end. The telos, the goal, the purpose. And that is to bear witness to the grace of God in Jesus Christ that nothing can separate you or me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus directly interprets Daniel's prophecy of the abomination of desolation about the A.D. 70 destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. That should be enough said. And he goes on to tell us that God's involvement there is in preserving the elect Christians who have come out of Judaism. Again, I encourage you to read that in the context in which Jesus said it. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, let him who read understands then this is what you're to know. This is God's purpose in ending the Old Covenant through the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem, but in so doing, God is preserving and keeping. He even shortened the days of that time of persecution for the sake of the elect of those Christians who believed and came out of Old Covenant Judaism and identified and testified that Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ. Jesus bases the progress of the New Covenant Christian Gospel after the fall of earthly Jerusalem on God's approval and involvement. And he says, here's how you are to understand God's approval and God's involvement. It is by biblical apocalyptic language that sounds like the the powers of the world, of the natural world that I'm describing to you. But that is well-verified biblical apocalyptic language that references the inscrutable, presence of God. And then Jesus promises assurance by his covenantal oath that the new heavens and the new earth, that is, the new covenant way of reconciliation and worshiping the triune God. That's the new heavens and the new earth, not the material heavens and earth, but the new covenant way of reconciliation and worshiping the triune God. Jesus tells us, he promises us, by his covenantal oath. Amen. So be it, he says, that there are a new heavens and a new earth which we don't see with our eyes, but we receive by faith. So, contrasting the old covenant and the sights at earthly Mount Sinai, if you were to go uh, to read this passage in Hebrews, where the writer of the Hebrews makes reference to the sights and sounds that are recorded for us in the Old Testament about earth, earthly Mount Sinai, he contrasts that with the details of the faith view of the new heavens and the new earth of the new covenant. Not material heaven and earth, but theological heaven and earth. The new covenant and the new way of reconciliation and worship of God through the new covenant in Jesus' blood. And so this is what the writer of the Hebrews says, making that transition... From what was seen and heard by um, the ears and eyes of the flesh recorded for us at Mount Sinai in the Bible to now that which is to be uh, embraced by faith, a new heavens and a new earth in heaven. And so this is what he says. But you have come to Mount Zion, not to Mount Sinai. You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to heavenly Jerusalem, not earthly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. This is all about new covenant. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth. Pay attention to the contrast between heaven and earth. If they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth in old time, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven now. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised saying, yet once more I shake not only earth, but also heaven. The shaking out of heaven and earth from the old covenant to the new covenant. And that he promised saying, Yet once more I shake not only heaven, but also earth. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal and the shaking out of the old covenant and establishing the new covenant. The removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that were made. That the things which cannot be shaken may remain. The new heavens and the new earth of the new covenant is what remains. It's what... Um, The ultimate and and real meaning of what those old things symbolized. The shaking away of those old things are ended. God's done with that. That the things which cannot be shaken, the real and permanent things, cannot be shaken. He says, let us have grace by which we serve God. Now this serving God here is about worship. We serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So here is what we have received that's permanent, that cannot be shaken, in the new heavens and the new earth of the new covenant, the kingdom of God. It's not an earthly kingdom. It's not to be presented to us in in, uh, geopolitical and and, uh, human ideas and power and presence. It's beyond all that. It's a new heavens and a new earth and the new way of reconciliation and worship of God. And so Jesus tells us to watch. What I say to you, I say to all, watch. What is he telling us to watch for? He just told us don't be deceived. He just told us don't be looking for signs. Don't be trying to establish uh, uh, the time. No man knows, not the angels in heaven, not even the Son of Man. Don't be trying to establish dates and times. And don't be trying to um, uh, divine the end of the cosmological world. Don't do that. That's not what you're supposed to be watching for. What are we supposed to be watching for as Christians? We're to be watching out that we not be deceived. We're to be watching out on how we worship God. We're to be watching and be careful that we're promoting and and, uh, testifying of the power of the gospel through Jesus Christ to persevere in saving faith to the end that might even be the end that comes by martyrdom. At least it was for the apostles as far as we know, and many early Christians. So we need to take a closer look at Scripture and what Jesus says about what we're to be looking for and how we're to be looking for it. How do you understand then a new heavens and a new earth? Is it all wrapped up with something cosmological? This means something material, something natural, that this world's got to burn down and, you know, there's going to be a new order. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about the acceptable way of worshiping God. And I want to ask you, is that more important to you than anything else? The acceptable way of worshiping God, to be reconciled to him, to have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know this Lord's Supper that we have this morning and for the many times that we have have, uh, celebrated together, and it should be a celebration, and we have observed this Lord's Supper together. Do you know that it's telling us in faith